Oh my gosh. I think that my journey with gender is one of the biggest ongoing things in my life. And I've always felt like Mercury is a very non-binary planet, non-binary energy. And so to actually have that feeling that I'd had for years affirmed through sect that made me really want to know more about Hellenistic astrology. Hello and welcome to Inspired Astrology with Lauren K. Hickman. How are you? You doing okay? I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah, so for those new um, listeners out there, uh, this is... Lauren K. Hickman. Uh, I'm a self-titled energy interpreter. Um, I've been studying Reiki since 2002. I grew up with astrology as a second language in my household, kind of self-taught through a babysitter that I grew up with, Dorothy Cunningham, and studied with my mom, who was a self-taught esoteric astrologer, uh, utilizing the Alice Bailey material, Uh, Raymond Merriman, that kind of evolutionary into esoteric astrology. Uh, Currently a student of Ryan Evans, who I will chat about here shortly. Um, We have an interview coming up with him in the next couple of weeks, and I'm very excited to share about that. Um, So astrology, energy work, it's my thing. Uh, Metaphysics, all the things. Yes, that's what I do. Um, So I'm here to demystify, to inspire, and to keep you grounded and off of the woo-woo train, (laughs) so to speak. So I started this podcast uh, from the skirt tugging of many clients and friends and fans, and uh, I've been doing this for almost a year now. Uh, I started on the March equinox of last year just doing recordings into my phone and publishing that to outer space, uh, talking to myself. <laughs> and this December, I decided to to pull up my Libra rising pants and start inviting people into this atmosphere and to discuss things like astrology or utilizing their sun sign or their specialty to help illuminate the seasons. Um, So on these podcasts, you can expect me ranting into space uh, about either the astrological report, things happening in my life, things happening energetically that I'm picking up on. Um, You will always get my honest thoughts on most things that are occurring. Um, And, you know, astrological reports like this week, we got the new moon coming up. The sun conjunct Neptune and Pisces, um, really interesting Piscean energy this month, of course. And this week, I got to invite Ash Gravity onto the space cast, and I could not be more excited. Ash Gravity, also known as Ash Bruxfort, is a queer witch astrologer out of eastern Iowa, kind of posting up in Mount Vernon for the time being. I was acquainted with Ash through Instagram and some beautiful algorithm connected us together. I love their work. I love their style of astrology. I love their take on things. And I'm so excited to bring their voice onto this episode to talk 
all things astrological. We get into how punk rock Capricorn is some of the astrology for this year and basically hearing their story, their journey into astrology, um, coming around, kind of knocking them against the head around Saturn return for their life and their stream. Such a beautiful interview. I'm so excited for you to hear that. Um, so here we are. It is the 9th of March. I can't believe that it's already the 9th, but these things happen. So we're still knee deep into Pisces season. We're about as Piscean as it gets at this time. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, what I'm picking up on, like the COVID vaccine and Fauci talking about how we can be together What's more Piscean than that, that we can like recombine forces once again? Um, That's just my opinion. You don't have to take that uh, grain of salt, right? But, you know, I think that there's a lot of really positive shifts happening with the COVID vaccinations kind of picking up speed, that they're seeing a steady rate um, of infections and hopefully the decline here in the next couple of months with warmer weather ahead. Um, there's a lot of like green lights being lit up. So it's a lot of positivity that I'm I'm feeling, although I'm being super precautious, um, still only doing outdoor hangs with people, keeping within my bubble, wearing masks, washing hands. That's how I do it. <laughs> um, everyone's got to do what's best for them. And, you know, I, I think it's all about consent. We'll get into that conversation next week with another Piscean sun sign. Uh, talking specifically about consent. But this shift is happening. Um, it's, it's wonderful. I love, I love that we're coming around this uh, solar return of COVID and we're seeing some shifts happen. Um, it's, it's really been a year. So I think as we're coming to this culmination point in Pisces, what have you taken from this experience? What do you need to let go of? What, what good has been brought into your life? What changes, what shifts, what opportunities has all of this provided for you? And what needs to be dispersed? What needs to kind of return to the ocean of everything? So tomorrow, the sun and Neptune are conjunct in Pisces. Even just trying to tap into this energy is a really heady process. I, I don't know how to even move into that space other than Neptune being a higher octave of Venus. And it asks us to love better, you know. I think when we get to the end of our lives or the end of our days, the end of our weeks, how can we check in with ourselves and ask, what do I need to let go of? How could I have loved better? How could I have been more courageous and more connected to my surroundings and to the present moment? Those are all questions to ask yourself. You know, this is, this is a very lucid time, lucid dreaming, lucid connections, reconnections with our divine self, a time for meditation, um, prayer, if you will. You know, I, I honestly think of prayer in such a different way than I did as a little kid, you know, acting as if God were a genie, you know, dear God, please give me this thing and like tell that lady to leave, leave me alone in class because I'm having a hard time dealing with it. You know, that's not really our relationship with our higher power because we, we are participating in the co-creative experience of this reality. 
So when we emanate consciousness, prayer, when we connect in with our heart's desire and with our feelings, and we make the best wish face that we can, that we can really send out that vibration, that frequency that we're wanting to attract, that's, that's the good kind of prayer. I think, you know, when we're focusing on what it is that we desire, rather than focusing on what we need to let go of, right? And that's usually what full moon times are about. I think, you know, people who are into rituals and the cycles of the moon and the month, you know, we think of the full moon as a culmination point. And then what do you hold on to? What do you let go of? Lots of Pisces season activities happening in my own life. Um, Six hours at a student hair parlor yesterday, double masked. Really interesting experience at Aveda Institute (laughs) in Milwaukee. Um, But I think of Pisces uh, hair, like hair is often associated as one of those um, kind of the mundane materialistic pieces of Pisces, like hair is part of it. Feet and dancing are part of that rhythm and music, art, and creativity. You know, so as we're kind of stepping into this Neptune sun period, might be a good time to consider and create and journal and download new ideas, get some get some vibes. Like what what is the universe trying to speak to you right now? What can you connect with that will make make things feel more meaningful and more lively for you as we're moving into spring and the germination and everything coming out of the ground? Um, it's really interesting just seeing uh, the difference in a couple of days and a couple of degrees, how many more people are outside. Uh, so that movement, that shift in nature, it's like that watery, like thawing period that we're going through has been really cool. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm having this moment where it's like, how, how do I, how do I share this? You know, I don't know how much you want to know about my life because boundary, <laughs> boundary issues are a big part with Pisces as well. And, you know, I'll, I'll tap into that for a second. Um, you know, I had, to, I had someone share with me, a mentor, uh, give me this really clear description about what leaky boundaries look like. You go to a restaurant, right? And your, your waiter comes up to the table. Maybe the guest, you know, gets offered some bread. The waiter has a basket of bread. This is a weird analogy considering like I haven't been in a restaurant sitting down for a year. <laughs> but so a waiter comes over and offers this bread basket and the person you're with goes, oh, good God, no, I have a gluten intolerance. I can't eat bread. Get that away from me. It's like, could they have just said no? Question mark. <laughs> So this idea of leaky boundaries is really, you know, what can we ask consent about how far we need to go to share things? Do we need to share everything that's going on in our lives? Uh, Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Is it important? Um, When are you oversharing, right? Uh, When are you undersharing? That's another question. Also, when are you taking up space when it's not yours to do so? Right. Um, I think that this is demonstrated by good communication qualities in asking for, you know, people's attention. Are you available to hear? Can you listen right now? I have something to share that's kind of vulnerable. Do you have space for that right now? Um, I have a lot going on in my life right now. Do you have do you have space to listen to what's happening? Those kind of consent practices are important 
pieces of initial boundary work. You know, so I'm almost asking you if, if you have space for me to share things that are going on in my life. And I don't need to dig deep into the details. I think sometimes I probably mute myself too much um, to to the audience because I, I want to make this about you. And sometimes it's really easy with my son and Aries in the seventh house to try to relate through telling my story and to maybe oversharing occasionally. But um, please send me good vibes. I have another breast needle biopsy tomorrow. This is a long lineage, a long storyline of my relationship to breast health and my mom's breast cancer and fibro dense breast. It's yeah, I have, I have dense breasts. Okay. So, um, for those of you artists who may have drawn me, (laughs) uh, for those people who care about me or who've embraced me and hugged me, I appreciate all of the good thoughts right now. Um, I had a phyloids tumor removed last February. Um, It was a recurrent tumor, benign, no sign, benign, no cancer. Um, And they're just doing another checkup because they have a really hard time doing ultrasounds and mammograms and MRIs on me. So I've done a lot of imaging and I'm doing the things to take care of myself. So that's me sharing a little bit of what's on my heart, um, especially to go in on a Neptune Sunday uh, to to go have uh, a procedure done. Um, certainly there's like a lot of fogginess and uncertainty. And to share with you that I have a, you know, Neptune transiting my sixth house right now, which often can indicate, um, you know, spirituality being coming part of your work life, which is actually what happened to me in the last few years. Um, Since it activated the sixth house, I've been doing spirituality support, you know, since 2013. Um, But it also leads to nebulous health issues like weird watery growths in my breasts, (laughs) Um, Venus in the sixth house. So there's just, uh, you know, I, I, I see the place that this has in my, in my healing journey. And this is also a reminder that healers have their work to do too. You know, any, any teacher, any guru out there, if we have expectation, I am not a guru. I'm just using that terminology because of the Neptune nodes connection right now. But, um, you know, taking people off the pedestal and recognizing all of us as being human. Um, my Reiki master had, uh, she had rheumatoid arthritis and she was a, a very powerful energy worker, but that was her path. You know, that was things that she had to integrate and to learn. And I've, I've got my recovery pieces that I've been working with. And I have other kind of nebulous health issues, you know, um, severe fatigue, uh, my kidneys, my breasts. Um, it's all part of my journey. And I am here to work with it and to attend to it and to also encourage you to do the same wherever you may, may need to in your life. I want to talk about Pisces and recovery as well, um, because Pisces is often associated with escapism, Neptune with addiction issues, just as much as Pisces. So what does escapism look like for some people? Uh, It can look like books. It can look like fantasy. It can look like sexuality. It can look like drug and substance abuse. It can be alcoholism. It can be too much sugar. It could be 
relationships, right? That we all look for escapes from our discomfort. Why are we uncomfortable? Why are we uncomfortable being human? Why are we not set into our skin? Um, filter systems, lots of, lots of things can build up to that. That sense of displacement that we might experience in our spiritual development process. And, you know, escapism is often a safe way to put on hold our spiritual developmental process. And no one's judging you. There's there's no problem here, right? Like there's there's no issue with you putting your experiences on hold. Like I can't I can't take any more right now, so I'm just going to I'm just going to put that on the back burner. But while it's on the back burner, it's slowly cooking down, it's slowly concentrating until we bring it to the forefront for our attention. That's been my experience and sort of a shared experience all around that I connect in with with clients and with friends, you know, we, we all have our stuff. And when we deal with our stuff, we're working on it. And I think I forgetting who said it, but like, I think it might've been Stephen Forrest that like, when you don't work on your stuff, your stuff works on you. So this is encouragement to all my Pisces people out there and all those folks with Neptunian kind of touch base things that it's, you know, it's okay to, to take space and to take time. Neptune takes time as it works its way through our chart. It's a very slow-moving planet. Um, so we just have to find patience and um, activation. How do, we, how do we move into a place where we can accept our circumstances but also know that we have power to take action, to work with our thoughts, work with our energy, um, and make changes? Neptune provides clarity as well as confusion. You know, this is the ocean of consciousness. It's the heavy waters and tides of our worldly experience and our otherworldly experience. It's kind of that, that weird nebulous connection point between the two. Um, so if you are working on something in your life, the escapist tendency, the addiction tendency, whatever it is, like I, I wanna know, I want you to know I see you. I want you to feel like you can keep going. Um, and it's, it's okay to screw up and it's okay to like have things happen that are out of your control. You know, I've been, been handed a coffee that was spiked with, uh, rum whipped cream of all things that I spit out, you know, <laughs> uh, it made me feel like a dork spitting out a gift from someone, but they didn't know that I was sober. They thought they were making an offering. So you protect your, you protect your space, right? That's a boundary. Um, double check drinks if you're going out with friends, you know, th- those type of things. Like this, this is all about just being aware and paying attention to your actions, your movements, your choices, what you consume. All of that is part of awareness. Um, I thought it was interesting today on the news that they they were talking about the opioid crisis and that, you know, Johnson and Johnson is going to start making the like the payments, you know, getting back to the lawsuits and the settlements that are happening around the opioid crisis. Um, That just no, just food for thought. Right. So as the sun is lining up with Neptune, this is about crossing our ego with spirit. Right, the the kind of the the crossing point of where we dissolve into everything. So maybe go exchange 
breath with a tree tomorrow. Um, Maybe do some writing. Maybe do some daydreaming. Have a good bath if you have that accessible. Um, Maybe I'll go dive into the water here in Lake Michigan. Who knows? (laughs) We'll see. I'll try to pull on my mermaid pants and get out there, but uh, it's cold. I don't know about that. Um, I I think just uh, bringing a level of awareness to your connection to everything around you, that we're not so separate, that the paint on the wall has consciousness, as my teacher would say, uh, that your windows, your clothing, your belongings, um, everything has wakefulness. Everything is a part of the universe. So maybe dissolve into that a little bit if you can. So kind of the, the energy coming up with the new moon in Pisces coming up on Saturday the 13th. Um, from where I stand in Milwaukee, almost everything is lined up in the first house in a stellium bridging from Aquarius into Pisces. So tapping into this, you know, we again, this consideration about how technology is restraining us or giving us discipline to grow in ourselves. Um, how many more workshops do we have accessibility to? You know, you'll, you'll hear Eddie Moore Jr. talking about the White Privilege Conference. I've been playing that uh, interview on repeat because I feel like it's important to pay attention to these matters. But um, the point of that is that, like, we have so much more accessibility because of the pandemic to connect with conferences and experiences, albeit online. Um, they're helping us to do some self-discipline, self-development work. So stick to it if you're at it. Um, also consider where you're finding restrictions or pains about your relationship with Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is that is making you nuts. Um, Jupiter and Mercury are pretty close to each other. Uh, this last week, um, you know, I mentioned over the weekend that it was you know such a great time to do writing, discipline, talking to a teacher, talking to a mentor, somebody that you felt uh, close to because Mercury and Jupiter represent the student, Mercury and Jupiter, the master, master teacher. Um, As this collided energy came together over the weekend, I went out to Viroqua, Wisconsin, which is about three hours drive from where I am and where my best friend lives. Um, And I got to sit outside with Ryan Evans, who was a direct student of Stephen Forrest, an evolutionary astrologer, uh, studied with him for 12 years. And Ryan has some pretty fantastic ideas about astrology and nature and the cycles. And he is one of the most Neptunian dudes I have ever met. He is a Cassini between Sun and Neptune in his chart and Sagittarius and such a gift. I can't wait to share that interview with you. Um, but uh, we got to sit down and talk astrology for four hours outdoors. And I felt like that to me was my my Jupiter Mercury inspiration for this last week and kind of uh, getting outside of my own box. And this energy, I mean, it's it's moving apart right now, but it's still right there. So maybe think about what what you've learned over the last couple of days. We have Venus, Neptune, Moon, and Sun all within four degrees of one another. So the Sun and Moon, of course, when they're conjunct, conjoined uh, in Pisces, this is a a blackout point. This is when the two of them connect, the the emotions, 
the old selves, the old patterns connect with the new self, the present self, the sun, the vitality. And all of this energy of being present in the first house, we have to think about what seeds that we're planting for ourselves in this moment. And I love using that seed analogy because it's so pertinent to like what what we plant now will come to fruit at a later point in our lives. So it's always important to plant good seeds and to nourish those seeds if we're trying to have sort of a cyclical, transformative, peeling off of old layers process in our lives, which I, I definitely think that humans and all biology adhere to those cycles. So in new moons, we get a moment to pause, that breath, that darkness, that culmination, the quiet, where we really get to set some intentions. And with all these very Piscean energies all placed together, the moon, Neptune, Venus, um, there is really an emphasis on, on beauty, the imagination, the divine feminine, this isn't about gender. This is this is a statement of connecting with the creative force, the womb, the divine goddess, the earth, all this energy. So, you know, this new moon, maybe take a bath, maybe do some painting with glitter, I heard someone say. Um, you know, do something that's kind of sparkly. Maybe, maybe just allowing yourself to dress up for no particular reason at all like slather on some lipstick or uh, maybe pull out your fun eyeshadows or do your hair (laughs) another Pisces trait like I was saying Um, that that's kind of a super mundane way of going about it but any rituals that feel meaningful and brightening and sacred and self-treatment self-love love of self equals love of the universe when we're treating ourselves with the love and divine respect that we deserve we are honoring consciousness itself we are honoring all the cells in our body we are recognizing our belonging here Pisces and belonging Pisces and abandonment these are all things that can come up to the surface at times like this you know, where do we fit in? Who are we? How do we belong? How do we connect? I just want to blend into everything. Where do I end and you begin and vice versa? You belong. You belong. We're all trying to figure out who we are and what we're doing here. It's not a perfect process. I haven't met anyone who feels like they've arrived, you know, because even at the arrival point, there's a new destination and the journey is the goal. I think that's all I got for you. I really want to get to this interview so you can listen to listen to Ash Gravity and I chatting it up during Pisces season. It's a beautiful time of year. I hope it's uh, thawing out wherever you are. So Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., tell me, this is the 22nd year of the White Privilege Conference. How does that feel? Oh, it feels amazing. Uh, it's an unusual year because this will be our first uh, virtual conference, but to know that we've been going 22 years, it feels pretty amazing. Tell me more about the conference's history and what it looks like now. Yeah, I mean, the real catalyst of the conference is advanced diversity work. I felt like in the early parts of my career, there wasn't really a a, a kind of um, CrossFit diversity, a rigorous kind of diversity setting to push us beyond diversity and inclusion. And so that was really 
the catalyst of creating the White Privilege Conference, particularly for educators, is to provide a space. Once you go beyond Diversity 101, 201, you need to keep growing. You need to keep being pushed and challenged. And that was really the goal. And now, you know, today the conference is really expanded and not only in its attendance of educators, but also people from all kinds of uh, sectors of the community. And in addition to that, we really make a concentrated effort to look at privilege comprehensively. So we're not just looking at white privilege, even though it's called the White Privilege Conference. We argue everybody's got privilege. We're just affected by it in very different ways. And so today we really work hard to have comprehensive voices examining white supremacy, white privilege, and all forms of oppression. Well, one of the things I'd like to mention about the conference that's really important is it's not a conference just for white people. Sometimes people are confused by the title or they think it's a conference for white supremacy. And it's not that either. This is a conference designed to challenge all of us around the issues of white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression. We argue everybody's got privilege. We're just impacted by it in very different ways. And now what's happening is every year, the conference is different. We have a different theme. We have different speakers. I mean, we have some of the spe same speakers that come every year, but because of the diversity of privilege and intersectionality that's uh, cemented in the curriculum, uh, we have a diverse group of people always presenting about privilege in a variety of ways. This year, I'm really excited because our theme is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but from a woman's perspective. And so we have an all women's lineup in reference to our keynotes, uh, Dr. Fatima uh, Stanford, uh, Dr. Robin D'Angelo, uh, Dr. Uh, Joy DeGruy, and uh, Linda Sarsour. And so we have a phenomenal lineup and we're really excited about this year's uh, 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 gathering. This is our first virtual white privilege conference, and it's going to be April uh, 7 through 10. April 7th is our all-day institutes for people who want to just come for a few hours of learning, like four to six hours, and can't make the whole conference. I'm sorry, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, everybody can come for the whole conference. I know as a student how much this impacted the way that I viewed the world. And I worked for you for three years at the conference while I was in, at Central and Pella. And um, it's really made a long and lasting impact. I'm so glad that this is still happening. I'm glad that it's gone virtual to an extent because more people will have access to these wonderful teachers and speakers and um, the community that kind of comes around the energy of this work. So thank you so much for holding space for all these people. The uh, registration fees, we try to stagger and make sure everybody has access. Our motto is um, uh, uh, we never want money to stop people from attending. So we work with people no matter what their financial situation. Uh, but again, as uh, I mentioned, we have, yeah, corporate, we have education, we have uh, nonprofit folks, we have community folks, we have parents, we have students, we have teachers. I mean, it is a great 
gathering of diverse folks. And um, I mean, you're a great testimony because uh, a lot of times I wonder, is this conference really having a positive impact? Does it really work? And so as the planner, uh, just like any teacher, educator, parent, you never know if your lesson is working. So I just want to say thank you to you for, I mean, just coming full circle. Here we are, you being a part of the conference early in your early years. And um, now here you are interviewing me for some of the work you're doing. Really to talk to your audience about the conference and it just means a lot. So I want to say to you, I'm proud of you, sister. And I'm looking forward to continuing to inspire more good trouble over the next 25 years. Eddie, so good to hear your voice and thank you uh, for your time today. And we'll look for you online at the Privilege Institute or you can Google White Privilege Conference, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, yeah, they can uh, find all the information they need about uh, the registration, which uh, is open now, I should say. The registration is open now. And so all the information about the speakers, about the workshops, you can find on both those websites. All right. Well, thank you for your time today and good luck with all the preparations before the conference. I appreciate you. Peace. <laughs> the Kind Oasis brand was created with the belief that premium organic CBD should be affordable and accessible to those who need it most. As someone who has used hemp derived CBD to support my own wellness, I have to say I really like this product. Their tincture is simple, a full-spectrum CBD and fractionated coconut oil. That's it. They also have potent homemade gummies that are a delight, and the CBD is available in capsules or in a topical balm. Go to kindoasis.com and use offer code INSPIREDASTROLOGY to get 20% off your order. Ash Gravity, welcome to the SpaceCast. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you got Thistle there with you, your yeah. beloved. Yes, my sweetie. <laughs> my goodness. So here, we're recording this during Pisces season, and you, you told me that you were raised by Pisces parents. I'd love to get your take on that. <laughs> yes, I was. My mom, has, she's a Capricorn sun with a Pisces moon, and my dad is a Pisces sun with a scorpio moon actually um but yeah so having two pisces as parents was definitely interesting i'm an only child actually so my parents you know i think that the hopes wishes and dreams side of pisces was like really big in my life growing up you know my parents kind of came from my mom basically came from nothing and my dad is from a conventional farming family in Iowa but he really wanted he was the first one in his family to move out of the community that he grew up in so he moved me to a different town so that I would go to like a bigger school and have like more opportunities and that was like a huge thing for my family growing up was that they wanted me to have access to like different opportunities than what they had access to and a lot of also a huge thing in my family was just like planning vacations to go be by the ocean, which feels like a very Piscean, also very Cancerian way to grow up this like constantly this idea that's going on in the back of the family of like, okay, where are we going to go 
in the winter time especially once I got older more when I was in my teens because when I was younger there was not like always the financial ability to go and be by the ocean but it was always something that was really taught to me you know this like desire to to go and be by the water when we're in a landlocked state mm-hmm. yeah so that was a lot of it you should come visit me in Milwaukee. I'm just a couple blocks from the lake. And yeah. my, my Pisces moon is just so, it's glorious. <laughs> it looks like the cold Caribbean. The color of the water is really teal. And I'm just, that's so great, though, that you had that opportunity to go travel as a, as a kid. Um, but were, were you raised in near Mount Vernon or near Iowa City? No, not at all. I actually grew up in Mitchellville, Iowa, which is about 30 minutes from uh, downtown Des Moines. Uh, And I moved to Mount Vernon. I had no connection to Mount Vernon at all. I went to college in Iowa City. I went to the University of Iowa. But my partner and I decided we wanted to open a bed and breakfast and Mount Vernon was just kind of the best place to do it. And we felt like we really wanted to get out of Des Moines. Um, And yeah, we moved here really with no plan. It pretty much changed everything in our lives. I had no intention of becoming a professional astrologer. I had no intention of, you know, like doing any of the stuff basically that I'm doing now. and fate kind of took the wheel, uh, so to speak, once I got here. I really relate with that. Like, no, you know, it, it feels like astrology was kind of a, like this side interest or something that like a language, a second language that you always spoke. And then bam, it comes into your life. And you're like, this is this is it. Yep. That's, that's often the story. Um, so, I mean, you grew up on a conventional farm in, in Mitchellville, Iowa, and, you know, from, from what I gather, you sort of, you were a weirdo kid. I was a weirdo kid. That's why we're talking. Um, <laughs> but you, you know, you sort of followed that, um, that structured path that a lot of people get sucked into, you know, what society sort of speaks to us that life should look like. Um, so you were, you were married in a hetero relationship. Um, you, you know, you studied English. I did too. That's why I feel like there's lots of like fun, uh, parallels. I'm so interested in your story, Ash, and how you got from one place to the next. Um, when did you, when did you know you were queer? I mean, it sounds like from your sort of recanting online that, that you've always known, but you shied from it. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say even when I was a child, I I couldn't have put language to it like, oh, I'm queer or I'm gay or something like that. But I knew that I was different. And I also really resonated with the very small amount of representation of like lesbians on television. So like um, Carol and Susan on Friends. I used to watch Friends, you know, religiously every single week. And I always felt like, okay, that's maybe what I think what I kind of want for my life, you know, I that looks nice. But then also friends had all of these very homophobic, transphobic undercurrents to it. So it's like I'm watching this vision of what my life could potentially be like, but I'm also watching it in a way that's making it clear that I'm not supposed to want that. Um 
And then actually my first love interest, my first partner, whatever you want to call it when you're like 13, 14, uh, was a woman. And so I had uh, a queer relationship as my first relationship. And then I unfortunately got outed when I was in junior high. And that was an extremely extremely difficult time in my life and I went back in the closet I had a boyfriend who was bisexual uh, was my first boyfriend and we were together for a few years and uh, then eventually I ended up with my high school sweetheart who was a man and a cisgendered man and yeah we got married we were together for six years And we actually didn't divorce, get it, like, I wasn't really getting divorced with the mindset that I was doing it because I was queer. I knew that I wanted to go on a lot of adventures in my life, and I didn't feel like I could do that in the marriage that I was in. And basically then, that's kind of like the beginning of everything. (laughs) Like, I ended up quitting my job and I went and started working on vegetable farms and traveling around the country for a while. And then I came out in that process. Was that woofing that you were? So I, I have never been woofing. People always think that that's what I was doing. I didn't do that. Actually, I would actually find paid full-time jobs working on farms. Um, So I worked at a farm in Atlantic, Iowa, which is in Western Iowa. And I did that through a program called Women, Food, and Agriculture Network. And I actually later ended up working for that organization for a few years. Uh, And that's what, what I did for a lot of my career was work with specifically women in agriculture, although I started working more with queer people in Uh, sustainable agriculture later on. Uh, And then I just would find jobs through different databases. So I lived in Chico, California for a winter. And then I moved to central New York and I worked on a farm called Common Thread CSA in central New York for about four months. And then I broke my hand and actually had to move back to Iowa now, now the Reiki in me is like, which hand did you break? I would like to know, <laughs> yeah, how did it happen? Broke... What were you thinking about when you broke your hand, Ash? <laughs> well, it's a kind of a funny and messed up story. So I broke my left hand, um, but it, I had actually broken it in a bicycle accident months before, but I didn't know it was broken. I thought it was just like a sprained wrist or something like that. And I worked on all of these farms for months afterward with no problems or anything. And then I tripped and fell while building a high tunnel, landed on the same hand, mm. had to go to the emergency room. And because it was had already been broken, it looked like it had already been broken from the x-ray. Uh, you know, I didn't get like workers' compensation or anything like that. So I was really just like... I've I've met the end of my road here. The the only road is from here is to go and live with my parents. (laughs) So that's what I did. It's a humbling experience to live with your parents in your 20s. I have I have been there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely was. And I wasn't out to my parents yet either. So I was living with them 
had to move home, had all of this like shame. This is obviously like what I had been trying to avoid from the time that I had gotten divorced. And uh, then I and uh, then I did actually come out and uh, and it was fine. But it was, you know, I could have done it earlier on. There were lots of opportunities where I could have come out, but I just wasn't ready. Like every time I would try, the words just wouldn't come out. I didn't know what to say. And I just needed that time, you know, away from my family to kind of do some soul searching I met some amazing people who still to this day are some of the most like influential people that I've met in my life in that about year and a half that I spent doing that. Yeah, well, I'm glad it was received with such grace, but you have to, you have to be ready, you know, like, I don't know when I, when I came out as queer to my parents, they, they already knew. You know, they're like, you've always dated guys that wore eye makeup and dresses. Like we, (laughs) we get it. Like we know that when you were having sleepovers with girls, like we, we know, we get it. No. So, (laughs) but I mean, yeah, it's still, it's, I think it's more about claiming your space. And when I, you know, I watch you through a screen online, we've never actually met in person, although I feel I feel a kinship with you in a strange way, but it's not that strange because we we move in very similar ways through our lives. Um, but I, I think that you you do allow for yourself to take up space and you, you know, you claim your pronouns, they, them, this is who I am. And I, I I'm so curious about this experience of sort of um, gender fullness, I guess, is the way that I describe it for myself and for people around me, mm-hmm. uh, that, that fullness of, of having Capricorn cancer energy in your makeup, um, as well as not giving uh, typical gender pronouns to planets, which is, um, that's kind of traditional. I know that Astrology University uh, that Tony Howard, you know, is, is running that they, they don't use gender terms when they're, when they're teaching, even though all the old books, they have the he, she's, uh, with the planets, but, um, yeah, anything that you can share about that stuff? I know I'm rambling, but. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think that my journey with gender is one of the biggest ongoing things in my life. I, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I worked for an organization called Women, Food, and Agriculture Network. And I was one of those kids, I like we kind of talked about earlier, I was a total weirdo, you know. I was in a very conservative community, calling myself as a feminist as like an eight-year-old. Hmm. I read Silent Spring by Rachel Carson when I was like 13 and became this big pesticide like activist and all of this stuff so I was thinking about gender all of the time even when I was a little kid and then I my specialty when I was an English major too was uh, Victorian women's writers so I really identified a lot with the plight of like being a woman and gender and and the way that people are treated differently based on their gender but I also grew up in a very white community in a very very white world and so gender oppression was some of the biggest oppression that I saw around me um because I wasn't exposed to people really who were 
of a different race than I was. Uh, So basically I was working for Women Food and Agriculture Network for a few years. And in that process, I was learning a lot about gender in ways that I hadn't really been exposed to previously. Uh, And so one of the biggest things that I came across in that time was this was, you know, in like, whatever, 2016. So there was a lot of conversation around like, the future is female, you know, the future is female, the future is female, this is getting talked about a lot. And there were some people around me who pointed out, you know, why the future is female is kind of problematic because it erases the experiences of like trans women. And it also creates these, uh, these ideas that like women are only worthy if they have uh, like biologically female genitalia and like all of this kind of stuff. And in that time, I was also running into a lot of issues with what's called, um, I always, I always use different words, but TERFs. So trans exclusionary radical feminist, I think is actually what the letters represent. I like to call them reactionary feminists. I don't really like to think of them as feminists at all. But these are women who want to organize spaces for women, and they don't want to include trans women in that. So all of this stuff is going on. At the same time, I'm also learning in my ancestry that I have people who were in my family who would have if they were alive today, would have been considered to be trans, actually. And so I'm feeling all of this connection to this legacy of, like, my queer ancestors and my trans ancestors. And I'm also developing as an astrologer during this period of time. And like you said, I have uh, a Capricorn sun, a Cancer moon and rising. So there's a lot of opposition in my chart. And I start thinking about how I have experienced gender and uh that's that is like a day-to-day thing for me I use they them pronouns I pretty much at this point in time identify with being a non-binary femme I guess I don't know I don't like love to put myself into like boxes and labels which is um probably not surprising but yeah So that's like kind of my brain dump just on, you know, what I'm going through right now, the ways that I've been led to even like deepen into my own queer identity. And astrology has been actually a huge map and guide for me in that process, because actually one of the things that's, I think, kind of interesting about my chart is that I have the Capricorn stelium. I was born in 1990, so I've got not only my sun, but I've got Saturn and Neptune and Uranus and then also Mercury. But then Venus and Aquarius is escaping out of that stelium. And I also have Mars and Sagittarius on the other side. And I really feel that in my life, that it's like I grew up with like the Capricorn kind of traditional space around me. And Capricorn can also be very punk, but it's like the Aquarius and Sagittarius kind of pulling on either side, like asking me to break out. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) No, but you just said Capricorn can be pretty punk. I would like for you to to uh, give me your take on that. Well, like Patti Smith is a Capricorn. Like, There's been some amazing, you know, just 
David Bowie is a Capricorn. There's lots of incredible Capricorns who have been very anti-establishment. Like, I feel like Capricorns, they get systems. And so they become sometimes the ones who really want to be outside of the systems because they can really like understand how those systems are trying to box them in. Um, And so I think that Capricorns can often be, especially I feel like people who have Mercury in Capricorn, they can communicate about the way that systems oppress in a way that people can actually understand because they can put the language in a in like the linear way that people kind of need to hear it to be able to understand how oppression works uh and also i have mercury retrograde in my chart so i feel like i'm always like i'm i I've always approached my work with like, let me understand how this system works on like the most traditional level so that then I can take all of that information and translate it to other people who don't understand it. Uh, And I've always felt like that's been a calling for me in my life. You're a translator. That is incredible. An energy translator speaks with an energy interpreter. It almost sounds the same. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So is that what took you to, you know, really, it's not even dipping your toes in, you jumped into Hellenistic astrology, which has a lot of lost techniques. Um, I'd love to hear more about why um, you work within that system or what what attracted you to it. Yeah, I started getting more into Hellenistic astrology right around the time that I moved to Mount Vernon, actually. So that was 2018. Um, Up to that point in time, I had been, I had read many different, you know, astrology texts, and I had been, uh, you know, the horoscope kid my entire life. So had like those kind of basics down for a really long time then I started reading like Jeffrey Wolf Green and Stephen Forrest and stuff like that when I was still living in Des Moines and then started listening to the astrology podcast and got more into Chris Brennan's work read Hellenistic Astrology by Chris Brennan got really into Demetra George's work on the asteroid goddesses and I really found well for one thing Once I started using sect, which is the idea that there's basically two teams, there's a day team and a night team, and there's different planets that are assigned to each team and applying that concept to not only my chart, but the charts of my friends and other people who I was reading for, it just like was like a door kind of blew open and It's interesting because that sounds like a very binary concept. Okay, there's two teams and then there's like these planets that fit on each team and they don't, uh, you know, they don't go back and forth between the teams and stuff like that. It kind of sounds like gender in a way. But the thing that I really loved about it was that Mercury would go on either team. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt like Mercury is a very non-binary planet non-binary energy and so to actually have that feeling that I'd had for years affirmed through sect that made me really want to know more about Hellenistic astrology 
so I think that was one of the biggest things that really drew me in. And I also saw like uh, Diana Rose Harper. I didn't actually learn about her until I had been um, studying Hellenistic astrology for a while. But astrologers like her, I think that she uses she, her pronouns, um, really kind of helped me to just think about, you know, how you could use really traditional techniques and put them in with the lens lenses of social justice that I think a lot of millennial astrologers are trying to incorporate some of the things that we've learned about social justice into our astrology practice. I just saw other people doing this kind of thing. And I was like, I want to do that. That's the kind of astrologer I want to be. That's the kind of astrology I want to practice. Because Hellenistic astrology sort of came around in if I remember the early nineties um, because people started translating these old texts um, yeah. and Demetra George was very much involved with that process. And Chris Brennan is probably the smartest astrologer I've ever listened to. I just yeah. feel like the vast knowledge that he works with and his drive and passion to understand more and to get that info out there is such a gift. Did oh you, yeah. Did you get to study with him personally or like through a program or So he has a Hellenistic astrology class that he's put together and you can take it online. And so that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I after I'd been listening to his podcast for a long time because honestly, I learned really the basic fundamentals of Hellenistic astrology just listening to his podcast and had been applying these concepts and techniques for a couple of years before I even took his class um, but the class is no joke it's it's a lot of hours the last lecture is 16 hours um, so it was a huge time commitment but at that point I was already so deep into studying Hellenistic astrology I was like I might as well just go all the way and do this with him but he's a phenomenal teacher even not even though it's not like person to person it's just all through video and then he actually does grade personally your test at the end of the class um but yeah he he is a phenomenal teacher he is definitely somebody who does not ever let like any detail go without like further explanation or examination and I think that was one of the things that really attracted to me about Hellenistic astrology, too, was just listening to him and the amount of information that he exposed me to that I had never, you know, read about in another book, never seen somebody else talking about. And I think a lot of other people have been attracted to his work for the same reason. Big shout out to Chris Brennan in the astrology <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Yeah, if you've got, you know, like, you know, 30 hours sitting around, you could listen to, you know, five of his podcasts. <laughs> I I don't feel like I ha I mean, I've been I've been studying for years and years, but um signed up for a like a, you know, real legit course just because I like I don't know, I don't think that 10 years ago I knew that there was astrology schools like I self-trained because that's how my mom did it and how my astrologer babysitter did it. So I was like, I'll like, I'll just like go, you know, put my grown up pants on and I'll do the online programs. 
And I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes if a lecture's like three hours, I can't, it's, I can't engage when it's through a screen, mm-hmm. but this year is teaching us to do just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I actually love online learning. Even when I was in college and first starting college, I was I think kind of an early adopter to online classes and online school and I love to be at home and I love learning so for me online school is like a dream come true (laughs) it's really I get everything that I want right you're like yeah "Yeah, my Capricorn Mercury meets my Cancer (laughs) rising sign stay at home wow okay so this is a question I'd have for you with the with the Cancer rising and Cancer moon um, what has your search for home been like for you? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's still, I feel like, kind of an ongoing search for me. I feel like I am somebody who I can kind of make myself feel at home anywhere. And as somebody who has traveled pretty extensively and lived, I mean, basically out of my car at certain points of time in my life. I know the things that I need to make myself comfortable. Um, But I do feel like for me, it's about where I am, you know, like the physical location of where I am. But it's also just more of a state that I can be in within myself uh, that to me has become more the feeling of being at home. Like, even in the last couple months, I've been outside of my house. I I went to uh, Arizona for a while with my partner, Marty, and we stayed at an Airbnb. And I actually, in my former job, I traveled extensively. I would be gone from my home at least, you know, three days every single month, which for me, that felt like extensive travel. And I just always had, like okay, I sit down on the couch or the bed when I get there. I get my journal out. I've got my tarot deck. I've got my computer. And I've got my phone. And I've got a glass of water or my cup of tea. And I'm just sitting and that's home. You know, I'm home. Even though I'm not at home, quote unquote home. But I say all of Yeah, you can bring your nest with you. Yes, exactly. That was actually a huge thing for me in the last year that I was in my former job because I was traveling so much. One of my goals was actually having my like home to go bag. (laughs) Basically, like these are the things I'm always going to like keep this set of things uh, like this box of tea that I like this tea strainer that I like to use this specific tarot deck like I'm going to keep all of that in a bag so that every time I go on a trip I can just grab that bag and I know that I have all of the things that I need right in it uh home to go I love it I just I think that's so brilliant (laughs) but I will say one of the biggest like significant turning events in my life was moving off of the farm that I grew up on so I moved off of the farm that I grew up on when I was 15 and that was honestly I mean I don't want to say it was traumatic but it was like I felt so displaced for a while because 
I was an only child and like I was so just connected to the natural environment around my house. It really didn't have that much to do with the house. It had more to do with being free to go and wander around like in the woods and stuff like that. And I couldn't do it when I moved to the suburbs. And I feel like my pursuit of going and working on vegetable farms and pretty much everything I've done since has always been this desire to go back to that place, which I will never be able to go back to that exact way of living to that exact land to, you know, any of that. Um, But it was a really, really pivotal turning point in my life. Uh, Cancer nostalgia showing there, Ash. I know Uh, it really is. (laughs) Um, You, I do want to talk some about um, your plant offerings um, because I, I really want to highlight what makes you so unique to me watching you from the outside how your gender identity whether that's a a journey or just a constant process it sounds like it has been for your whole life that 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 feeds into the astrology and the astrology feeds into plants and planets and all all the things so when did that happen for you when did you start crafting flower essences is this all come into culmination around your saturn return Yeah, definitely. My Saturn return was definitely a pretty significant time in terms of me actually starting my work as an astrologer, meeting with clients, and then also opening my flower essence apothecary and consulting with people on using flower essences. I was actually, though, initially exposed to flower essences about It was the summer, actually, I moved back to Des Moines. So it was the summer that I broke my hand. Um, And there was an herbalist in Des Moines who she had moved from Oregon. Uh, Rachel Burnt, I want to say, is her last name. RP Apothecary was the name of her business. I don't know if she's still actually consulting with clients or not. But she... I, I just basically I was trying to pursue becoming an herbalist initially that's really what I wanted to do was become an herbalist and there were limited opportunities at that point in time in terms of actually getting training from another person to become an herbalist especially in the state of Iowa and so Rachel really opened some doors for me into thinking about doing journey work to meet plants and talk to plants and learn from plants directly about what they are meant to be used for. And I started making flower essences for myself back at that point in time. Uh, So that would have been about six years ago. Um, And then when I moved to Mount Vernon, I was one of the biggest reasons I was excited to move here was because I could put in a garden, like a at least permanent garden for the first time in my life. That was not, I wasn't on somebody else's farm. I wasn't in a living situation that I might be moving out of in six to 12 months. Uh, And so I started growing a lot of flowers and a lot of uh, medicinal herbs and started pursuing my herbalism training more at that point in time too and uh, at least in the traditional sense of like taking more traditional classes and herbalism and all of that kind of stuff 
And I just found I was going through a really, really, really difficult time in my life. I had left the job that I formerly had and my grandma had just died and I just felt like I was at a crossroads kind of, but it wasn't a crossroads like that I had been at previously in my life, which would usually mean that I would just kind of pack up and leave. You know, I couldn't do that because I had a partner and I had like this house and everything. So I started working more intensely with flowers at that point in time. And Star of Bethlehem was one of the first flower essences that I used because it's for really intense, acute grief. Um, And I took that flower essence every single day. It really, I think, did help me move through some of the most intense periods of the grief right in the initial phases. And then I did that for myself on an ongoing basis for over a year. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to see if other people are interested in this. And I'm happy because a lot of people have been working with me with flower essences and I love to do it. I really feel like the feedback I've gotten from people, and this has been true for me too, is that having the daily ritual of taking flower essences just helps them to feel grounded and like they can move with whatever life throws at them. It's, I mean, plants have such a beautiful high vibration and they act as kind of a tool or placeholder until we can meet that energy. Yeah, the way that I've heard Asia Suler talk about it is that flower essences help us. They're like a tiny key that can unlock something with inside of us we have like all of these tiny little doors inside of us that are holding memories things that we've inherited things we don't want to think about things we're not ready to deal with whatever it is and that flower the right flower essences they have those little keys that help us to unlock those parts of ourselves and let them out and I think for me too as somebody who's learned over my life to hide different aspects of myself like hide being queer hide like shrink my voice don't be so you know opinionated all of that kind of stuff um flower essences I think have allowed me to be more free in sharing myself with other people and not be so defensive And I think that a lot of people really struggle with being on the defense all of the time, Um, but don't even know that that's like a thing that that can happen to you in your life, that you're just feeling like you're constantly on the defense. So flower essences have been the, the biggest help for me with that. That, I mean, I don't know, that just like woke something up for me because I think about how, um, how many people in my life have that reactionary attachment avoidant style, you know, or sorry, avoidant (laughs) attachment style where, you know, you ask a question because you care. And then it's like, why are you asking? Who'd you hear that from? Yeah. Like, Oh, because I, I love you. Why are you pushing me away? It's it's because we push ourselves away so much. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. You work with clients and, and, you know, bring all of this knowledge to the table, you know, your, your experience with, with tarot and archetypes and, you know, this classical astrology that's being unearthed after all this, all this time. Um, 
And then the flower essences kind of can come in if people need an extra boost or something to take with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Uh, And I think one of the things that many of my clients have mentioned why they like working with me is that they know that the person who they're talking to is has the lived experience of being a queer person, whether that person is a queer person themselves or they are maybe an activist who is working around issues like capitalism, patriarchy, and white supremacy. And they know that I am at least bringing some of that background and knowledge to the table with the way that I'm interpreting it. And, you know, too, like, I, I personally have had, and I know other people have had experiences going to astrologers who maybe don't understand their gender identity, don't understand what, like, being a queer person is like, and some of the life uh, experiences that many queer people kind of share with each other, or even, like, maybe they are polyamorous or um, pansexual or something like that. And I don't think anybody wants to ever pay for services and feel like the person that they're paying doesn't understand, you know, I will never understand every aspect of somebody's lived experience because like, first of all, that's not my responsibility or my job. Everybody's living their own life. Um, But I always try to hold space for people to feel that they can talk about whatever it is that's going on in their life and that I'm not ever going to make them feel ashamed um, or judge them for it. And I think that I learned many of those techniques actually from being an organizer in Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, So I was really actively involved in organizing in DSA when I lived in Des Moines, and I would host monthly gatherings for people to talk about things like oppression from capitalism, patriarchy, and white supremacy. And it was always just the space of no judgment. You know, we're all, nobody should have to apologize for what they have to do to survive and the circumstances that we have, especially with my experiences in in the Midwest too, and the ways that people have just been chronically uh, told consistently that they are wrong and bad and not valuable because of their identities. Um, So I just felt like there was a huge need for that when I was in DSA. And I was growing as an astrologer at that point in time and applying all of the stuff I was learning in DSA to my astrology and then life happened and then I ended up doing more astrology and not as much organizing as what I had been doing previously but yeah definitely feel like I learned a lot from those experiences I I feel like you know justice work will always be a part of your path uh I mean, last year during the, was it a tornado that hits, uh, the, that big, pole, that vortex that, hit, I don't remember what it was called. I, the my, Duresho. <laughs> Duresho. Yeah, right. That like tornado hurricane in the middle of Iowa and it impacted your community and Cedar Rapids and you reached out and we're like, we're, you know, bringing people to Des Moines to pick up stuff, drop yeah. things off and I, I didn't even know you at that point. And I was like, I'm on it. Like, I'm going to let people know. I'm going to go <laughs> donate things. And um, 
I, I just, I feel like you're constantly able to provide strength and a voice where there, there often isn't one. I guess that's the impression that I get from the work that you provide and, and to know that you're a safe space for people to come to for compassion, understanding, empowerment. Yeah, I think that one of the biggest things for me that my Saturn return actually specifically brought up was feeling like I didn't need to have a name or a network or something like that. I need I didn't need to be part of this other group of people to be valid as an organizer or an activist. I just needed to use I needed to do what I had been telling people to do for years, which was use the skills that you have, the gifts and the abilities that you have to meet the gaps and to fill those gaps wherever you can. And I've seen so many people in my life who are organizers and activists totally burn out because they throw all of their energy into being of service to other people. And it's a really, really beautiful thing. But then when you can't take care of yourself because you're pouring so much into other people, that's not doing anyone any good. And so that was something I had to really learn the hard way and to feel like the work that I was doing was valid, even though I wasn't doing it as part of this, you know, bigger thing um, was really important for me. Where did Thistle Summit come from? Where, when did you have this, like, I'm going to own a B&B? And <laughs> so my partner, Marty, and I met in Des Moines. We both worked in nonprofits. Um, and she's also an only child, actually. And we're also both over six feet tall and, like, had both been married to engineers. And so we had a lot of very similar, like, life experiences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about a power couple. I'm trying to imagine you and Marty, like, six feet tall. <laughs> yeah. We we definitely uh, stand out, I would say. And we were dating. We were, you know, we're... That's like classic lesbian, like U-Haul kind of situation. We were dating. We'd been dating for, I don't know, maybe we'd been dating for about a year by the time we moved to Mount Vernon together. So it was right at the end of that first year that we were together that we were hanging out and talking one night like we always did just you know sit around and talking and I'd be painting and we'd just be talking about stuff and listening to music and Marty would bring me food she's like an amazing cook and so we were just talking and dreaming about you know getting out of Des Moines and all of this kind of stuff and uh, I was talking about someone who I worked with at the time. Her name's Lisa Kiverest, actually. And she has owned a bed and breakfast in Wisconsin for many, many years. And I was talking about her and what she does. And then Marty just said, yeah, I, I want to do that. Let's open a bed and breakfast. And I thought she was kidding. And then she started sending me all of these real estate listings and well, she asked me, you know, if we were going to open a bed and breakfast, where do you think you would do it? And I said, I thought someplace outside of Iowa City would potentially be a good place to open a bed and breakfast. So basically, she found this house, she found a Zillow listing for this house. 
and she was speaking at a conference in Chicago. And so we went to Chicago, we came and looked at this house and she put an offer in on it. And then we moved here, but we knew we didn't want to just run a bed and breakfast. Um, and I had had some experiences where I had a previous uh, girlfriend and we had been traveling in rural Iowa and we stayed at a bed and breakfast actually, but there was this feeling of like, well, should we pretend that we're sisters or should we pretend that we're friends or, you know, whatever, because we don't know if the woman that's running this bed and breakfast is going to like that. She has two lesbians staying with her. Interestingly though, on the trip to Chicago, we were staying at a hotel in Chicago and the woman at who was like the checking us in I receptionist, I guess that's maybe not the right word, but she was like checking us into our room. And she asked us three times if we wanted separate beds and we had to keep saying, Nope, one bed, one King bed, you know, one bed. I don't know how many other, like how I can say it to you in a different way. We only want one bed. <laughs> and it was just this really, kind of a weird experience where you know you're in Chicago and you wouldn't think like you would have an experience like that there and then I'd also had this experience at this bed and breakfast in rural Iowa which you maybe would think that you would have an experience or like a fear or trepidation around that there and we just realized that there was this need for very queer focused queer friendly accommodation and that it was not like okay, we have a flag in our window and we're LGBTQ friendly, but like, no, we are building a queer bed and breakfast that is for queer people. And if other people want to come and stay here, that's great. But we want to build the bed and breakfast that like we would want to go and stay at. And we don't want anybody to ever feel when they walk into our door that they're unsafe or they won't be accepted or they have to hide anything about themselves. And that's like the attitude that I try to bring into my astrology practice too. And just, and being who I am every single day of my life, I just never want someone to feel like I'm judging them. That is really something that I think Iowans specifically really really struggle with is this like silent judgment that happens in in places like Iowa and so we really wanted to combat that with this whole summit there was a need and you innovated I really appreciate that perspective and what has probably been an experience for so many people uh I think that's great and Oh, the pandemic. So you have not been hosting people. How have you been staying busy? I mean, how how's it going doing readings online all the time? I love doing readings online. Um, I mean, I liked having people come and be in person. But I, I really like doing I like, like I said earlier, you know, online education, online connection, I'm all about it. So I have really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I think, honestly, I was kind of in the initial stages of growing Ash Gravity at the beginning of COVID. I'd been doing it for about a year, I think, a year and a half, maybe at that point in time. And uh, so 
I have not really felt like it's impacted my business negatively in terms of Ash Gravity. It definitely has impacted this whole summit negatively, though. And I say that, but then also my partner, Marty, has been cooking and baking and making vegan and gluten-free food and serving the Iowa City Cedar Rapids Mount Vernon market. And it's important to note, neither of us are vegan or (laughs) gluten-free, but we also really feel like people should have, if they have food sensitivities, food allergies, whatever it is, that they should be able to have really amazing food that doesn't feel like they're settling or like that it's a compromise to eat that way. And so that's been pretty much where the focus has gone, has gone to her food and when we moved here, we never thought I didn't, I wasn't planning on being an astrologer. I, you know, I did that for fun for my friends and stuff like that. It was a huge part of my life, but I wasn't really planning on pursuing that in more of like a professional way. And Marty absolutely never would have said like, Oh, I want to be a chef. I want to be a baker or anything like that. But circumstances have made it so that both of us are pursuing those paths in our life. And I feel like that was kind of the whole thing with coming to Mount Vernon was that that was opening the door for us to both pursue these things that were our big passions in life. Um, And it's just worked out that that's how it's how it's been that we have been able to actually do that. Um. So I would say that's pretty much how we spend the majority of our time is working uh, and and doing those kinds of things. And the Duresho, unfortunately, really devastated the natural landscapes around uh, the Cedar Rapids, Mount Vernon area. So we used to go hiking all of the time. But honestly, a lot of places around here, the parks are closed. You know, there's so many trees down. You can't even go for like a nice walk in the woods like you used to be able to. So that's really uh, sad. But yeah, that's how we've been pretty much spending our time. So it's just such a hidden blessing, you know, to find to find these treasures on the other side of this unexpected change. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's kind of how life goes. Like you often go through extremely uh, unexpected and challenging circumstances. And I think that that is, you know, with the Virgo full moon happening this week, square to the nodal axis and what's going on with Uranus and Mars and Taurus and everything in Aquarius right now, I feel like a lot of people are having big unexpected life changes changes in direction like moving in a different direction than they thought they would be or whatever it is and those things they knock you off balance you feel like oh my gosh I don't know how I'm ever going to overcome this and those feelings are absolutely real and I have also seen so many times in my life that I think that I'm totally at the end of a road and then I realize I just need to get in the other lane and keep going. There's this, there's this saying, my dog is like attacking me right now. He's like, it's dinner time, mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there's this saying that, um, you know, it, if it's not a happy ending, it, it's not over yet. Yeah. And I think about that a lot. 
um, when things feel really dark, it's like, well, it's not over. Right. You know, there's, there's always, there's always a different horizon. Like you said, a lane change, sometimes do it switching directions, switching perspectives. And sometimes it's just about being patient and waiting for, waiting for a sign, waiting for that next, you know, rainbow or that, that number combination or whatever it is that really speaks to your, your soul. Yeah. Well, and right before I got on this with you, I pulled like my card for, to like inspire my conversation with you. And it was the hanged one reversed, actually, which is that that feeling basically that we're talking about that, you know, that there's a change that needs to happen. There's a change that needs to come, but things haven't quite fallen into place to do it. And you are waiting with those feelings and it's, you have to be patient and you have to be also open and paying attention. And I think that so often when you're in those like hanged one periods of time, you're looking for those signs and it's important to keep your head up, I guess, and keep looking for what is the direction, even, you know, just like small things, wherever there is that opportunity for there to be just a little bit less resistance paying attention to when those things come up and saying, okay, um, this is my opportunity to not resist and go with the flow. And even if it's just for 15 minutes or an hour or a day, like cherishing all of those times that you have where you can just flow with the energy and not be working against it. That word cherish, I feel, is so pertinent to the season. You know, it's like the loss of winter, the coming of spring. And this year, so especially, like we have so much to be grieving over and grateful for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that COVID has absolutely given me... I've always been a doer, you know, I like to fill my calendar and I'm, I love like my Google calendar and filling up, you know, oh, this is my plan for the day. These are all of the things that I'm going to accomplish. I've always been that way. And for about the first five months of the pandemic, I just like didn't even use my Google calendar and it taught me a lot about what is important to me just on a day-to-day basis and like being able to allow myself like give myself permission to cherish and savor the things that make me feel comfortable and make me feel uh good in my body and in my home and in my life and to feel that I'm worthy and valid of receiving those things and not like saying no you're not deserving to receive this time for yourself you're not deserving of receiving this uh luxurious hot chocolate drink because it's full of sugar or whatever so like not putting those restrictions on myself all of the time and just allowing myself to receive that feeling uh has been really important in covid to just be continuously like allowing that to happen Do you have any thoughts about last year with so many of the planets being in Capricorn and you, you having a stellium in Capricorn, did you, do you feel like you were able to, to weather it differently or that it impacted you more? I'm just curious what your thoughts are. 
I think that by the time like last year rolled around with all of the planets in Capricorn, people who had like a lot of planets in Capricorn had kind of been getting uh, a workover for a couple years at that point. <laughs> so it was kind of like by the time all of the planets rolled into Capricorn, it was like, all right, you know, what's what's going to come next? I feel like... <laughs> Just like bring it, just get it over. Yeah, bring it, yeah. Like bring it. I like I'm. I've already worked through some of this stuff. So, I and so like in a way, I feel like last year I kind of ended up stepping into like a teacher role to a certain extent for some people because I'd already been dealing with a lot of that energy my entire life. You know, I'd already been dealing with Capricorn themes my entire life, and so I don't feel like the the weight was maybe as intense for me as it was for some other people. Um, and also I think this is where I think sect can be really interesting in terms of like uh, Hellenistic astrology, because Saturn is actually not my most malefic planet in my chart because I have a day chart. Mars is the most malefic planet in my chart. So it's really the Mars transits that I watch out for for myself that will be, they have always been the most challenging. Whereas the Saturn transits, it's kind of more like, okay, there might be some obstacles. There might be something that like I come up against, but I've also like got this, like I can, to a certain extent it kind of like it's asking me to use all of the things that are my best gifts and abilities to approach overcoming whatever obstacles are coming up in my way so I feel like last year for me I I feel very fortunate while our business did have some big major challenges it was also a really beautiful year for me where I opened up I feel like I like that thing that I was just talking about with receiving. I allowed myself to receive more than I ever have in my entire life. I think last year, because I just stopped restricting that flow of energy to myself all of the time. And I think that that is something that is very a, a Saturn lesson of sometimes we need to put boundaries in place for our best interests, but sometimes we put restrictions on ourselves that are not in our best interest. And it's coming from outside of ourselves. It's like stuff that we think that we have to do. And really we need to just allow the space for more to come in and, and stop cutting it off, which also speaks, I think to that defensiveness and that, feeling like, well, I can't let good things come into me. I can't let positive energy flow towards me because it'll get taken away. And so that constantly being on the defense. So I think last year really challenged me to let my guard down more than I ever have. Um, because I think also with being a Cancer moon and rising, people often feel like they have access to, I, I am a very vulnerable person and I share that vulnerability fairly freely with other people but there is always this undercurrent of being on the defense that I have and I think last year it was like you've got to let some of that go and learn how to be vulnerable in a way that isn't just like 
bleeding out kind of but is more of this settled vulnerability of okay I've learned some stuff and I feel confident that I've learned some stuff and so I'm going to share with you what I've figured out along the way while still being open to being wrong and being shown other things more of a porousness than yeah yeah Yeah. what a what great reflections on your experience and I love the work that you provide online. Um, I, I don't, I'm not really sure how the algorithms connected the dots for us, but thank you, El- uh, the energy of Silicon and the energy of the internet. Um, I'm just really grateful to have made a connection to you at all and look forward to coming to stay at, at Thistle Summit uh, when, when the opportunity presents itself again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would be wonderful. We can talk about all of the, and we have great stargazing here, too. So we can go outside and actually see the stars, which is one of the best things about living here. So people can find you at um, on Instagram at Ash Gravity and same thing with the, the website, ashgravity.com. You are open for readings to do astrology, the, the flower essences. You do uh, tart interpretations for couples. I know that you're doing that around Valentine's Day. And I just, uh, I'm just so grateful that, uh, that I had the opportunity to chat with you today. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful and I look forward to meeting you someday in real life when we can actually be near each other. And like hug. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, hopefully looking up at the stars and talking to some plants and yeah, all of the beautiful things. So yeah, thanks so much for having me. Kin is a modern mystical shop located in the heart of Des Moines, Iowa's East Village. Femme-centric at its core, Kin is a woman-owned and operated business. The shop is filled with specialty products from women-owned businesses across the country. Candles, body care, the shop's Venusian energy comes in as soon as you step into the door, whether it's online or in person. Ethically sourced crystals, Palo Santo and Sage are just some of the highlights, along with an exquisite collection of vintage jewelry. Shop online at kindsm.com and let them know that Lauren sent you. Capricorn is so punk rock. I love that. Totally, totally shifted perspective for me. I love these conversations. Anyway, that was Ash Gravity. Uh, you can find Ash on Instagram at Ash Gravity. Uh, throw them some cash on Venmo if you're feeling inspired. They are an awesome human being, and I cannot wait to go to Thistle Summit in Mount Vernon, Iowa. Uh, Ash Gravity, again, on Venmo, same thing. And if you feel like hitting me up with some bucks too, I love it. It's my birthday season, so uh, coming up here, and I appreciate all of the offerings that you provide me, and I'm happy to continue doing these offerings for you. It's all about uh, give and take, right? Um, It's the energy exchange. So you can find me on Instagram at Lauren K. Hickman on Venmo, same name. Uh, Book an appointment with me. Why not? 
what do you got to lose, right? I'm pretty fun, very entertaining, right? Uh, some new offerings coming up with uh, Reiki and doing a 21-day cycle. I am so stoked to offer that to you. We have some great episodes coming up too. Uh, interview with Sonia Ash from the Young Women's Resource Center talking about Pisces, consent, boundary work, and feminism. And of course, that interview with uh, evolutionary astrologer Ryan Evans. I can't wait. I just can't wait. So thank you for giving me something to do. (laughs) And I hope you stay inspired.